Hi there, I'm Jessie Cook and I'm here with SciDance, an evidence-based podcast looking at all things dance science, chatting to experts in the field who share their research, knowledge and thoughts for dancers, dance educators and dance scientists. I'm here today with Erin Sanchez, who is an advocate, educator and developing applied researcher supporting dancers' physical and mental health. She has led more than 600 educational workshops for dance professionals and students in the UK and internationally. Erin advocates widely for the development of positive, strengths-led mental health support services, psychological education and healthy working and training conditions through a variety of professional roles. As the manager of dancers' health, well-being and performance, she collaborates with the One Dance UK Dance Medicine and Science Expert Panel, Senior Management and Workforce Development Team to determine and progress initiatives to empower the dance workforce to have sustainable and highly valued careers and to implement strategic objectives to improve dancers' health, well-being and performance. As manager of the National Institute of Dance Medicine and Science, she is charged with ensuring a long-term future for NIDMS as a focal point to access dance medicine and science expertise, information and resources and providing wider access for dancers across the UK to specialist, multidisciplinary, freely, easily accessible, preventative and rehabilitative physical and mental health care and performance enhancement. Erin also manages an international group of teachers, dancers and mental health care professionals and researchers, the Dance Psychology Network. As a registered provider and quality assessor for Safe and Dance International, she leads international courses in safe dance practice at UK Level 6. She has lectured in dance science and taught dance technique in the UK, Germany, France, the Netherlands, Malta, the United States, Egypt and Serbia. She is a member of the International Association for Dance Medicine and Science. Erin is pursuing her PhD in Sport, Physical Education and Health Sciences from the University of Edinburgh and holds an MSc in Dance Science from Trinity Lab and Conservatoire of Music and Dance and a BA in Dance and Sociology from the University of New Mexico. She trained in dance with the American Ballet Theatre, Boston Ballet School and the Alvin Ailey School. Today, Erin's talking about psychological skills in young dancers. This is such an important conversation to have and I'm really, really grateful to Erin for her time. I hope you enjoy. Hi Erin, how are you today? Hello, I'm very well. It's really nice to see you. You too. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, if we just start with a little introduction to yourself, so you could just tell our listeners who you are, a little bit about your career and what you do. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my name is Erin Sanchez. Um, I currently work for One Dance UK and the National Institute of Dance Medicine and Science. Um, my role there is health, well-being and performance manager. So I look after all of the kind of physical and mental health activities for all of our work as a sector support organization. Um, and I certainly don't do that giant job by myself. I do a lot of uh, work in partnership with and in collaboration with um, industry experts in dance medicine and science and dancers health, um, as well as health for the general population. So um, my uh, time at One Dance UK has been really diverse. I've been there for 10 years. Um, and my, uh, my current situation is that I'm doing that work, but I'm also doing a full-time PhD alongside that. Um, so I'm really lucky to have the opportunity to study um, and particularly something that I'm super um, passionate about, which is um, psychological skills for success for dancers. Um, and uh, I 
as you can probably tell from my uh, accent, I am not from the UK. I'm from New Mexico originally in the United States. And I grew up there, studied dance there, um, and uh, moved to the UK in 2010 to do a master's degree in dance science. So that's kind of me in a very, very small nutshell. Sure. So we're going to look at your PhD a little bit today. And last time we spoke, I absolutely loved the story that you told. So if you could just introduce what your PhD is about to our listeners and why you've chosen this area. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'd like for you to imagine um, that I'm introducing you to Charlie. So Charlie is, um, uh, he's he's someone that I think you'd really be interested in hearing about because uh, he's had quite a rough year. I mean, we've all had a pretty rough year, um, but Charlie's had a really rough year because he's had um, a lot of setbacks. Um, he has not been able to uh, study the way that he wants to because he's had uh, several quite serious physical issues um, that have kept him from being able to do what he likes doing. He also... Um, he has a kind of challenging day. He's in a place where he's trying to achieve and um, is having a lot of potential trouble with that um, because he's, he's tired all the time and he's not able to concentrate. Um, he's also, uh, he has really, really high goals and we all can relate to that. Um, but Charlie's goals are so high that it's, it's probably about 10% likelihood that he's going to achieve them. So Charlie's got it rough. And um, the thing that's actually perhaps most interesting about Charlie and um, the reason that I care about this uh, is that Charlie is 14 years old. Charlie is a male ballet dancer in training. And some of the things that Charlie is facing are things that an adult would, would face, an adult would struggle indeed facing. And I think that um, my experiences in dance, my experiences working in an organization that works quite closely with lots of people who are in dance, um, it suggests to me that dance is a difficult career. Training as a dancer, becoming a professional dancer is difficult. And um, it's my belief and what I'm studying through my PhD that, um, that young dancers need to be prepared for those challenges and they need to have the psychological support to be able to overcome those challenges. And I think that it's vital that we understand what people need to have in terms of skills to be successful, both physically and mentally, um, and that we are proactive in supporting them to develop those skills through their training. So that's kind of my, my uh, reason for being in terms of my PhD. Yeah, so for listeners who might not be aware, could you just tell us a little bit about what psychological skills training actually is? Yeah, absolutely. So in a nutshell, um, psychological skills training is basically about how we prepare our, our brains to be able to uh, undertake tasks. So in the same way that we have physical skills, so if you can think about the training that you do in a dance class, you learn physical skills. You might learn to turn or jump or do a very specific thing with a part of your body. Um, well, psychological skills are more or less that. So things like commitment, focus, or ability to kind of control yourself uh, from getting distracted, um, being able to evaluate your own performance, 
those are skills and we learn them through a process of education and learning from others and um, being supported to try them out. And ultimately, if we don't have those skills, it's just like not having physical skills. We, we end up not being able to deal with certain challenges or to be able to address certain things. And the really interesting thing about psychological skills is that um, they're often something that we pick up over time. We might observe people's skills um, as they use them in real life. So if you happen to have um, a friend or a parent or a teacher who uses those skills, you might pick them up just by being around that person. But you can also learn them in the same way that you learn about anything. You can kind of take time and specifically develop those knowledge about those skills. Yeah, so coming back to your PhD then, there's some areas of focus. So I think I've sort of drawn out strength, knowledge and self-regulatory skills. Could you elaborate on these and are there any other areas of focus? Or... Yeah, um, so I'll start by talking about sort of self-regulatory skills, which is essentially about being able to control the effects of pressure so that you can perform well. And Obviously, anyone who has ever been in a pressured situation understands how important that skill is to be able to show this, the physical abilities that you have. And for a dancer, that's really important because we're often finding ourselves in situations of pressure, whether that's being on stage and having an audience who might be uh, viewing you and judging you, whether that's being in an audition or in a class situation where you feel like you need to show your skills. Um, and I think those those kinds of skills are things that I suppose are the bread and butter of our ability to um, show off all of this work that we've done. You know, dancers spend years and years and years developing their skills. And if they don't have that ability to kind of manage the pressure that they're under, they are potentially in situations where they miss out sharing those skills. Um, another one that's probably quite important is kind of your ability to organize yourself and perform in different situations. So whatever planning you need to achieve a given target, organizing yourself to recognize and reward those steps that are needed to achieve longer term goals, that's really, really important. So if I'm not organized, if I'm not prepared, if I'm not ready to kind of take those steps towards working hard, that could limit my ability to learn. It could limit my ability, again, to kind of show my skills. So I think, again, that's kind of a, a skill that you would learn over time, particularly by potentially making mistakes. Um, and I think that that then leads me on to talking about this notion of psychological strength or what some people might term as resilience. And my favorite, favorite definition of resilience is this idea that um, a brilliant psychiatrist called Alan Johnson. And um, essentially what he talks about is this idea that when we have this skill of resilience or a psychological strength, we're able to kind of have mistakes, have setbacks, to learn from them and to come back from them. And usually um, that, uh, the idea of being resilient is a combination of lots of different things. So we might have, um, for example, a, a really negative situation in our lives, but if we've got a parent or a friend who supports us, um, we might be able to kind of uh, pick ourselves back up from that and find support from them in order to carry on. Um, so 
I think those are kind of maybe some of the key areas um, that are uh, focused on when we talk about psychological skills. And um, yeah, I think that's probably the, the main ones. Yeah, so if we look a little bit into the methods of your PhD, the areas of study and the significance of these. So how do the different perspectives that you're looking at help to give a really secure overall picture of what this area looks like for dancers at the moment? That's a great question. And PhDs are massive pieces of work. And often the methodologies and the methods, um, they, I feel like they can sometimes kind of put a fog over the important outcomes from a PhD. And so I try to keep it really simple. So fundamentally, the, the focus of my PhD is about understanding why do we care about this topic? What do we already know about this topic? what's happening right now currently in this topic area and what can we learn from it and then the very big end question is the big fat so what so so why do we care about this why is this important why should people spend any time thinking about this or changing their practice and ultimately the methods of my PhD will kind of help to elucidate some of the answers to some of those questions and obviously create many many more questions so establishing why do we care is about trying to talk about why dance might be different from other environments and potentially provide unique challenges, but also unique strengths. So what are young dancers potentially facing? And what are some of the maybe professional challenges or requirements that they need to be prepared for? And how do those differ from being a professional musician or being a professional athlete and understanding kind of what the really key target areas that we need to prepare dancers to be able to deal with are. So why do we care about this issue? Then what do we know about this issue? So what's been written about this, both in the academic literature and in the, what we would call gray literature. So in magazine articles and in other kind of popular uh, writing. And does what's written have any connection to kind of practice? So are people reading what's written? Are people using that to change practice? If so, how is it impacting practice? Is it driving practice to get better? Is it driving practice to stay the same? And then what do people think about this topic? So professional dancers, dancers who are in training, people who are what we would call gatekeepers, so dance teachers, artistic directors, what do they think about this? Do they think psychological skills are important for success? Maybe not. Maybe it's something that they think, no, it's, it's really not as important as having long legs and good feet. And so we spend a lot more time in talent development developing those skills because we think they're more important. But the other thing that I think is really important to understand about what we know is what's going on in practice right now. Because I think if you think about what was going on in practice 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago, you could make the argument that maybe psychological skills weren't as important. Weren't. There's been a wonderful kind of explosion of focus on mental health for dancers. And it's been such a good thing. And it's, I think, developed an opportunity for particularly dancers in training to have more access to mental health care support, to have more understanding of how they're psychological well-being can affect their performance and practice 
And ultimately, what that potentially could tell us is that there are some changes in the way that the dancers of today are being prepared for professional performance. And if that is helping them to be more successful as professionals, how is it helping them? What are the things that are most useful? And I think we need to understand that. We need to understand what's going on in practice right now. And then the big fat, so what? Well, okay, so we know why it's important. We know maybe a bit about what's going on right now and kind of what we already know from what's been done in the research. So how are we gonna use that? What are we gonna do in taking that forward? And maybe what are some of the, the things that are missing from the skill set that dancers need? We know that there's a huge attrition rate, for example, from professional training. So if you think about the number of people who start their professional training, there are only a very small percentage of them who would be successful as professionals. And why is that? How can we support dancers to have better outcomes? And what are the outcomes that we want to achieve? Do we want everybody who goes into training to be a professional performer? Maybe, maybe not. And if not, we want people to have transferable skills. So they wanna learn something in their training that they can use whatever they do in their professional life. So I think I try to keep a balance between the academic aspects and understanding methods and methodologies and being very um, uh, clear in that approach, in that academic approach. But my job, my life, my experiences require me to kind of keep a focus on what does this all mean and how can we make things better for dancers. Yeah, something you just touched on there, and it's something I'm really interested in, is the differences with other athletes. So the differences both in what's expected of dancers, but also in the support that they receive and kind of whether that matches up, I guess. So why do you think that there is a difference with other athletes? Um, and also maybe how does talent selection play a role in this? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think it's pretty obvious that support differs. So um, I think you can kind of suggest that in a dancing environment, it's generally a little bit less likely that dancers will have access to things like dietitians and nutritionists, mental health care and support, and even conditioning or physiology specialists, people who are um, supporting people's fitness. And there are some environments that are really well equipped. They have a multidisciplinary team. They have all of that available, but it's not the norm. It's not as normal as it would be perhaps in uh, a comparable elite sport environment, for example. Um, but the other thing that really differs for dancers in comparison, for example, with athletes is regulation. So in an athletic environment, there's a regulatory structure that requires coaches, teachers, um, healthcare professionals to have certain training and certain qualifications. And while there's some regulation that is the same, so for example, healthcare practitioners would need to have the same regulations working with dancers as well as athletes, the regulation for things like dance teachers isn't the same. There isn't a regulatory requirement for the knowledge that a dance teacher would have. And although that's not um, anyone's fault, it does create possibility for there to be a lack of understanding or preparation for some dance teachers to be able to include things like psychological skills training within their teaching practices. 
So I think there's also kind of a, um, a couple of reasons why that regulation doesn't exist. And some of those are things like funding. So funding for the arts is a very different structure than it is uh, for sport. So when we think about funding for sport, that might come from um, audience, from television, from other distribution methods, um, from government. Um, whereas funding for the arts will have this, those same funding structures, but kind of percentage of less funding that's available. And there's also a public perception dis difference. So um, the perception of how challenging a uh, career in dance is versus how challenging it might be in sport. Um, there might be differences in public perception that would drive people to be more likely to give money to providing healthcare support for professional athletes than they would do for a professional dancer. Um, and I think the, the kind of the outcomes of that for talent identification and talent development. If you think about not having the key experts to support that talent identification or talent development process, you can think about the possibility that um, you have really, really talented young people who may never get spotted because we don't really have clear understanding of what talent looks like at different ages. So um, it's a very subjective game, identifying talent in dance, because there isn't a kind of objective measure of success. But I think the other thing is that it's, it's really difficult to find talent sometimes, because you don't necessarily know what you're looking for. Often the strategies that we use to find talent are um, structurally limited. We're looking for talent in certain places, in certain populations, with certain age groups. And actually that may not be where the talent is. And finding that talent, identifying it, and then putting it into an environment that can nurture it is really important. So we need to kind of get that right. And the expertise that we would get from having more support, more kind of multidisciplinary support would really help with that but also having particular regulations around what kind of talent develop, de development environments have to include and how those things are um, supported, not only by kind of teacher education, but also by parent education and other kind of support services that wrap around that talent development environment. So is there funding for the dance student to be able to live on site is there funding for the dance student to have access to healthy food? Is there funding to ensure that the, the dance student is able to get education and knowledge around things like um, rest and the importance of sleep? So those kinds of things um, would really help us to ensure that outcomes were better for those who are uh, dancers. Yeah, so something you just mentioned there is that dance teachers are maybe a bridge for this gap, potentially. Um, we know that there is a gap, and I wonder if maybe that's because dance teachers are quite specialised and they don't have access to all of these sub-areas that you've just mentioned, like nutrition. Um, so how could we start to bridge this gap, and what could dance teachers be doing maybe to help educate themselves as best they can in these areas to support their dancers? Yeah. So I suppose I'd like to turn that question on its head. So I'm not, I want to know what everybody around the dance teacher could be doing. 
So yes, the dance teacher's education is incredibly important and the kind of additional aspects of their knowledge, child protection, safeguarding, pedagogy, things like trying to understand the adolescent's physical and mental development. Those things are all incredibly important for the teacher to understand. But at the end of the day, the dance teacher isn't a safeguarding specialist, isn't a physiologist, isn't a dietitian, isn't a specialist in growth and development. Their job is to teach dance. And they need to have these wraparound understandings or skills, but they also need to be supported by other experts who have knowledge in those areas. And I think there's, um, there's an element of understanding the need for that support and not placing all that responsibility on the dance teacher. But there's also an element of understanding for the parent and for the student about both of those things. So knowing that the parent should have some baseline understanding of the nutritional demands of a young dancer, knowing that the young dancer themselves has a knowledge and understanding of mental health and the importance of mental health for them to be able to achieve their performance goals. And all of that, I think we sometimes kind of quite easily place on the shoulders of the dance teacher. You need to educate your parents. You need to educate your students. But I think we need to recognize that there's a, a community of responsibility, a community of control there, and that we need to invest in that entire community to make the most difference. I suppose the same could be said then for the students. So it's a lot about the community about them and it shouldn't be wholly placed on them to be responsible for their own well-being. Um, so maybe a better question instead of what they could be doing for their own well-being would be how can they know that they're receiving the right support for their well-being? Yeah. Um, so I think probably the best way to talk about this is to talk about um, I, I speak to a lot of dancers um, as a part of my job. And most of the time I meet them as a result of something going wrong. So them getting an injury, them having a setback, them leaving training for, for a reason outside of their control, not being selected for the next year of training, having serious injury and mental health issue. And the thing that the thing that I understand and that I'm most aware of is that actually seeking support and knowing that you will be able to pick yourself back up, that's kind of, that's something you have to learn by falling down. You don't learn to reach out for help if everything is already presented to you, if there are no problems, if there are no bumps or bruises along the way. And I think there's a perception, particularly among people who are high achievers, who want perfection. And um, I think dancers tend to have that kind of personality um, that we want not to have any mistakes. We want not to have any problems or bumps or falling down. And ultimately we learn to pick ourselves up. We learn to take care of ourselves by having stuff go wrong. And I think that's probably one of the most important things that we can share with our community is that injury is something that happens. It's a normal part of doing something challenging with your, with your body. 
psychological challenges are something that happens and it's a normal part of having high goals and wanting to achieve challenging things. But what we perhaps don't also set alongside that knowledge is that when something goes wrong, it's an opportunity to learn. It's an opportunity to grow. It's not an indication that you're never going to be good enough or that you're not capable. And I think some of the most inspiring and emotional um, kind of experiences I have are talking to dancers who have had those experiences, even really young people. I was having a conversation with somebody who's currently in vocational training, um, is under the age of 15, has had two really serious injuries in the last year that have kept them from really being able to dance at all. And I'm speaking to this young person and they're telling me, you know, I understand that I have limitations in my body, but I'm not gonna let those stand in the way of me achieving what I want. And I know that I need to do my physio and I know that I need to make sure that I go and see my counselor to talk about the frustrations and the anger and, and the worry that I have, but I'm gonna do that. And I just need help from you about this. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? And it's incredibly inspiring to see the strength that can come from potentially having challenges. And I think if you're in a dark place, if you're in a low place, if something's not going right, it's not that you automatically develop strength and challenges, it's that you're supported to develop them and that you have the opportunity to reach out for help. Yeah, absolutely. And I was just thinking then that this is such an important conversation to have. And I don't think I quite realized when I was first making this episode outline or talking to you a few weeks ago, I don't think I realized how important this was to have. So thank you so much for sharing, Erin. Um, anecdotally, I think something that is kind of interesting to touch on is that we see a difference in psychological support, possibly, between those in vocational training and those in recreational schools. Why do you think this is? <laughs> I think the difference between the psychological support that's offered in recreational training versus in vocational training, um, or perhaps the framework which with, within which we see vocational versus recreational engagement with dance, I think it's probably in part about the motivation to participate. So if I'm dancing recreationally, my motivation might be about enjoyment, about physical activity, about having an opportunity to do something that gives me a creative or expressive outlet. But there's this funny switch that seems to happen as our engagement with dance gets to be more intensive and particularly when we start to add a goal of um, maybe doing something career-based with that activity. And then all of a sudden our motivation might shift to being a little bit more about whether or not we're recognized for our skills, whether or not we feel like we're going to be successful or whether we're competent at doing the dancing that we hope to do. And what that kind of can result in is that we feel more likely to be kind of uh, judged. We might feel fear about outcomes because there's so much riding on vocational engagement in dance. There's a lot of ourselves that we put into it. We sometimes kind of develop an identity that is tied to whether or not we're doing that activity. 
And I think what that ultimately results in is the psychological challenges feel greater and the psychological benefits that we would be getting from engaging in dance feel less. And I hope that the support that's offered at a vocational level is, is taking that into consideration. And in some cases it really does. Um, but I think there might also be uh, a challenge in vocational settings in that you don't want to appear weak. And so even if support is available to you, you may not take it up or you may kind of push it away because it's, it feels like it's going to weaken you in some way. And I think we have to be quite careful about, about messaging the importance of, of mental health to be able to achieve challenging goals because I think otherwise it can have a stigma just like anywhere else um, about seeking mental health support and that making you um, appear maybe weaker. So back to the start of this podcast when we were talking about why different people maybe recognize this is important. Um, while psychological skills training can play a role maybe in the success or in careers of performing artists, I think there's an important argument in that it's also important just for their well-being um, and not necessarily for their career. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, um, I'm borrowing really heavily here from a lot of really wise people that I've had the opportunity to speak to in my life. But um, fundamentally, my guiding belief in all of this is that um, dancers are human beings, artists are human beings, and they will have human issues in the same way that everyone else has human issues and often have the same human issues, issues that everybody else has. You know, if you've had a bad day or you've had a, a fight with your friend, um, that's going to be a human issue. Um, but we also have performance issues and performance challenges. And I think when we think about the success that we um, we have as human beings as well as professionals, we measure our success based on human issues as well as performance issues. So, you know, am I a good friend? Do I feel like I have achieved something meaningful today? Um, am I um, maybe good enough? to do what's being asked of me or am I just kind of pretending at all of this and somebody's going to find me out pretty soon? Those psychological bases for our well-being and our health are relatively well understood. We all have basic psychological needs of, of sort of autonomy, competence, and belonging. And if we are having those basic human psychological needs met, then we're likely to feel well. And anyone knows, you know, you feel day to day well or not well. And certainly in the, in the context of the last year, I can reflect for myself that there are lots of things that are going on in my life that have nothing to do with my um, professional career that can affect my feelings of being well. And day to day, that might keep me from working in the way that I want to or achieving what I want to. And I think we have to, we have to balance those things. And so our professional success is tied to how well we feel. Our human feelings of well-being will help us to achieve well in our professional lives. So it's all a kind of cycle. It's all connected. 
And the better we understand our human selves, the better we understand the professional environment that we are aiming to achieve in and the challenges and benefits of that environment, I think the more likely we are to be successful in any frame. And I say this every time I go and teach, I do a lot of teaching for 1LCK. And every time I go and teach, I say to the people that I'm teaching, you know, I'm really interested in your professional work and in your professional training as a dancer. Um, I love watching dance. I really enjoy it personally. I love dancing myself. But at the end of the day, I'm much less interested in whether or not you're a good dancer right now, today, or even in the future. I'm much more interested in whether or not you are healthy and happy in yourself. Because if you are healthy and happy in yourself, you can achieve anything. Today is just one snapshot. And you can get anywhere if you're healthy and well in yourself. And I think that that is a, a really important aspect of our ability to achieve. Yeah, definitely. So ideally then, how do you hope that we can apply the findings of your work to other dance schools? So maybe both vocational, but also smaller schools? So I think the best case scenario, the big fat so what of all of this, is that we're able to have more integrated conversations. So what are the specific requirements of being a professional dancer? I think we all probably have a, an idea in our minds of what it takes to be a professional, but ultimately it's entirely subjective. My opinion of what a good professional looks like is different from anybody else's. And I think we need to have open conversations about that so that we can manage expectations, so that we can identify talent, so that we can support talented people to develop their skills. I think the other thing that's really practically important in addition to just having more conversations about this is providing educational opportunities. So if we know a little bit more about what's required to be professionally successful, how can we prepare people for that? How can we prepare teachers to best prepare dancers? How can we provide more expert support to best prepare dancers? How can we give dancers developmental opportunities to try out these skills? You know, it's wonderful to know how to set a goal, but have you ever had to try and do that? And it's wonderful to know how to plan and organize your time, but are you required to do that as a part of your training and your education? And I think we have to give developmental opportunities to set those goals, to try that organization and planning and really to allow people to fail at it when it doesn't matter so much. Because if we wait to fail until the stakes are really high, until we don't have a fallback, then the outcome of that failure is potentially really, really hard and can make us potentially lose a lot of ground. Whereas little failures often throughout a development process will help us to kind of build that bounce back ability. Yeah, kind of similar, but a little bit different. What do you personally hope to see in the future of dance training and dance careers in terms of psychological skills training? 
I will tell you a story. So I have had the pleasure of meeting um, a couple of really, really inspiring human beings in my life. But I think maybe one of the most inspiring is um, someone who has left dance. And gosh, that sounds really weird as an answer to a question about what I hope to see in the future of dance training. But um, this person left dance and they left dance due to um, what they would term body dysmorphia or a problem with the way they viewed their body. And it's a really hard story actually. And I've heard it a couple of times told by this person, but they talk about the fact that they developed a really negative attitude to the way that they looked and that that attitude started to take over their whole lives and took away their love of dance, took away their love of performance and training. And I think probably starting out hearing that you think, oh God, I'm so sorry, that's so sad, I'm, it's just awful. But actually this person has gone on to find a completely other creative career that they are absolutely excellent at. And they, they're able to contribute something incredibly powerful to the world through a totally different creative sphere. And interestingly, that creative sphere is about capturing in images and in video other people's dance work. And I think that that's a really powerful reminder to me that the future of dance training, the future of the people who are not, they have a sparkling career on stage. It's about whether or not they grow as human beings. And we all have so much to contribute to the world. We might have a beautiful performance career to contribute to the world, but we might also have other tremendous skills. And I want to know and be sure in the future that anyone who is in a dance training environment is empowered is confident, is, is mentally strong and mentally supported to be able to achieve whatever they are meant to contribute to the world. Yeah, I mentioned it earlier, Erin, but it's honestly such an important conversation to have. And I'm so grateful to have had you on the podcast. So thank you so much. Is there anything else you'd like to discuss or mention today? Um, just one final thing to say to you, because I think it's, it's so incredibly important to be able to talk about these topics in, in a non-academic, non-scientific, non, -scientific, non um, kind of uh, science-y way, because I think these topics matter. And I, as an audience member for your podcasts, can only say thank you for sharing all of the things that you've shared and all of the kind of engagement with different professionals. It's been wonderful for me to hear about those things from a totally different perspective. 
And I think you've opened up some of these topics in ways that even I hadn't ever thought of. So I'm so tremendously grateful to you for sharing all of this information and and for engaging human beings in interesting conversations, because that's that's wonderful. So yeah, I think the importance of sharing this stuff can't be understated and you've done such a brilliant job with it. So I'm really delighted to, to have been a part of it and thank you so much for everything you've done. That honestly means the world. Thank you so much, Erin. It's been amazing to have you on and we'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening and tune in again next Monday for another episode of Dance. Make sure you're following at Dance Podcast on Instagram to keep up with the latest episodes. And if you enjoyed today's episode, it'd be really great if you could rate, review, subscribe and share.